and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare. I'm an author, a anxious man and a father. Not necessarily in that order. And this is a podcast about writing. If you write or if you are right curious and kind of fluttering around the edges of the writing scene, wondering if it's for you, feeling slightly embarrassed and impostery, welcome. You're allowed in. There's no gatekeepers here. People, There's people pretending to be gatekeepers. The true imposters are anyone who claims to be a gatekeeper of writing, who claims to say who is and isn't allowed to write, who claims to have some sway over the publishing scene. You're allowed to make stories, providing you are human. And if there are any non-humans listening to this podcast, you're welcome too. Hi, I didn't mean to make you feel othered and excluded in my little thing there. Um, it's lovely to, I was going to say hear from you again, but of course you're hearing from me. It's lovely to talk at you uh, once again. I was just so keen to have another chat, having in, really enjoyed uh, making the last episode of the podcast. That was the one uh, entitled, it was a writing ramble entitled, Whose Story Is It Anyway?, where I sort of uh, slowly chewed away at the giant marshmallow of cultural appropriation and diversity. And it's a subject that perhaps uh, I should have made some notes on and written down. And uh, it's one that I'm slowly engaging with myself and having thoughts about. And of course, after I finished doing the episode, I had a bunch of new thoughts about it. But uh, I've just, I just really enjoy having these little chats with you where I do all the talking. So I thought I'd record another one because lots of you have been writing to me, lots of you have been asking me to tackle certain subjects and I just thought it'd be fun. But I'm going to make these uh, relatively short I think. I think I'm going to sort of cut them down slightly just so I'm not doing, I'm not always doing these kind of grab bag miscellanies of different topics because that makes it difficult for you if you're sorting through looking for me talking about one specific thing like you want to go okay I want to hear Tim talk about dialogue uh not that I of course I'm the final authority on any of these subjects but it's just interesting to hear another writer's opinion isn't it and a lot of writers don't talk about it because they don't want to look like wankers and so and that has the effect essentially of rolling up the rope ladder behind them and saying, well, just fucking figure it out yourself because I'm not going to talk about it because I don't want to look like a tit. Well, you know, we're allowed to talk about our professions and we're allowed to have opinions. I'm not trying to present myself as anything more than uh, a fellow traveller, one of your peers just like you. And if you have ideas and thoughts that um, my talks bring up and you think, well, Tim, actually, I think this and I think the opposite, I welcome those. Not for you to just simply have them in private, but let me know if you've got constructive criticism of the things I say. If you it, it raises something in your mind and you think, Tim, that's nonsense. Or if you just think, yes, that's very true and this solved this for me and this. Let me know and I will include them in future podcasts and we can keep the discussion going. It's only it intended to uh, create a thriving dialectic rather than these sort of vague, cute tips that writers come out with now and then, which just don't help anyone. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're slightly inspiring. Anyway, I shall press on. So this is a podcast for writers and anyone is interested in reading and it's just supposed to make you, give you some practical, applicable advice that you can use to make your own writing better. And the real test of it is 
if you can apply it next time you write, that'd be great. And also to make you happier while you do it. So I'm trying to make help you make your writing better, help you write more and help make you happier. Because those are all goals that are really important to me. And I want to be honest with you, I've had a really shit week in terms of productivity. There's been some things going on, as I said in the previous episode. Um, my wife's been really ill and I've been doing some looking after her, but <laughs> but really she's just been kind of looking after herself because she's really tough like that. And it's been really poo to see her being so poorly and she's she's okay she's on the men she's seen the doctor she's had some tests it's okay and before that I was ill and Suki was ill and actually Lisa was ill with the different thing so it's it you know life will get in the way for you as uh, an author and I don't want to present myself here I've been getting all these emails from lovely people who've either they're either working through the couch to 80k writing boot camp that's my eight-week course if you haven't listened to it there's a, i've got an entire free eight-week course that you can download or stream and work through with daily episodes to help you get better at writing fiction and feel more confident i get i would say two or three emails a day from people who are either halfway through or just finished it uh just telling me how they're getting on really positive really lovely saying tim you know i'm feeling so confident now and it's great it's had a funny effect on me in that I feel wonderful about it, but then I started to feel slightly fraudulent that I wasn't doing much writing myself, and I think various things had got in the way, but I started to think, fuck, I should, I should you know, I've been so positive to all these people. What Am I, am I applying my own rules? Because the reason I did the course in the first place, the reason I started writing it was as a kind of, trying to give my, I'm trying to phrase this metaphor in a way that doesn't sound like I'm ref- referring to masturbation but I wanted to give myself a big hug you know a big writing hug and say come on it's okay it's okay and if you don't want to write again it's fine but if you're gonna do it the only way you're gonna actually sit down and produce stories that are good is if is if you love yourself and you let yourself have fun again and applying the things that i talked about in that course you know I, I started I did every exercise as I came up with them and I you know started going out and writing more and doing these little writing exercises and really enjoying myself and but life will get in the way sometimes and so what I want to say is I want to be honest with you and say this week I've not done very much and I actually yesterday I did some today I spent almost the entire day playing Civ 5 on my new laptop um, and I've really enjoyed myself actually it, I'm not going to sort of beat myself up about it but it's it's not always easy it's not always easy writing and you will have off days you'll have off weeks you'll have off months you may have an off decade I gave up writing for nearly 10 years um, writing fiction because I just because I was scared and but I got to get back into it and I have done and I've written several novels since then and I feel good about it and it was worth coming back to it but you know part of this whole game is you figuring out how you can live your life and do writing and it make it work for you don't let the tail wag the dog right your writing if it's not serving you you don't have any obligation to fiction you don't have any obligation to writing you don't have any obligation to the universe you just have an obligation to yourself in fact you don't even have an obligation to yourself there are very few obligations in life 
true obligations, which is why it's so meaningful to choose to write because you want to, not because you have to. That's uh, that's why it's it's a lib it's liberty as long as you're choosing it. And so you've got to do a little bit of work. And I've not been doing the work this week. If I turn around and look at my uh, guinea pig calendar, I can see that I've been getting my five a day every day since the beginning of April. I've had no panic attacks, which is good. I've done a little bit of meditation on three of the days. I've done a tiny bit of journaling. And I've done fuck all writing. And so that's, but now I can look at that and see, and I can, just glancing at that, I can see and I can go, okay, so I'm going to start doing my 10 minute writing uh, sessions again. Now I have done bits of writing. I have, you know, been working on the new novel a little bit, going a bit slow, you know, I'm thinking about world building and voice and things like that. And, and that's fine. But I want to speak to any of you who are either working on something now or feel like they should be working on something now maybe you did the couch to 80k course and you're feeling slightly guilty that you've not continued afterwards wherever you're at i just want to say perfect is the enemy of good enough and perfect is also impossible so there's no point there's no point shooting for perfect it's so important that you just realize that you can do seven minutes ten minutes that you don't I don't ever try and get a perfect week don't go right new week it's Monday I'm gonna now start and try and finish the week because that is I don't have you ever done it where you have a couple of off days Monday Tuesday and you think right I'm gonna wait till the week resets on Monday then I'm gonna start writing again or then I'm gonna start doing my exercise again or whatever you need to always be looking for the next small positive thing you can do. And that's why you um, that's why I advocate breaking down writing into sort of 10 minute chunks because there'll always be cheeky 10 minutes that you can find that you can do that you can start changing the flavor of your writing life just with that little 10 minutes where you can go okay I'm going to plop in 10 minutes here when I finish recording this podcast I promise I am going to whip out my journal easy now and I'm going to write for 10 minutes in longhand I'll do a free write that'll be fun that'll be nice and then I will have done it and this is how we change the conversation this is how we change the momentum in our minds and this is how you can do it right yeah the smallest one small positive action that's it it will help you break through overwhelm and it's not just a panic it's not just it's this is not some pollyanna-ish rose-tinted spectacles way of looking at the world where i go you only need to do 10 minutes and you go oh and of course if you want to kind of write an entire novel there'll be times when you have to build up to doing more and we can you know in a future episode we can talk about that we can look at ways of building up your momentum of building up your stamina when writing scenes of making sure you get the most out of the time when you sit down to write of what to do when so you can create a uh, a healthy and efficient workflow to work through the novel and that's something that I this is why I want to get other writers on the show as well because I, I, I want to get their opinions as well see what's worked for them and also because there's not there's more than one way to fillet a feline right don't ever 
do that to cats don't skin cats it's mean but there are lots of different ways of working and the ways of working that work for me might not work for you and one of my pet hates is hearing writers talk about the one true way to do writing it's just so it's so small-minded and so blinkered this idea that this is what works for me therefore it must work for you and if it doesn't work for you you're not a writer or you're doing it wrong we we all our minds work differently you know I'm someone who suffers from anxiety there's a whole bunch of stuff that I've got to take into account when I write or do anything creative that anything that sort of brings up fear that's something I've got to manage I'm a dad I've got you know I, I I'm I spend a lot of my time looking after my sweet sweet daughter it's brilliant but I'm permanently jet lagged from lack of sleep and you know my writing times I can't always rely on certain writing times and I can't always get up in the morning and kind of immediately knuckle down to work because I've I've got a sweet baby Suki to look after so you'll have different things going on in your lifestyle and if writers don't take that into account it won't be helpful so you know, I would love to get a diversity of opinions on this uh, and hear some different writers. And I, I'm going to think about it hard and I'm going to practice putting some of these things, you know, into practice. Yeah, you know what I mean? I, I'm going to I'm going to try some of these things out. I'm going to experiment on my own life and report back to you on what works for me, because none of this. If I'm not doing the stuff that I'm advising you, it's bollocks, isn't it? I mean, and also I'll be really resentful of you because some of you are doing great stuff now. Some of you are writing, some of you are rediscovering yourself. If I'm not kind to myself, I'm going to become ignoringly bitter as I watch all of you create these amazing stories and amazing books and be sort of free and dance off through summer meadows while I fart about not writing you know it's important that I do these things as well and I'll report back to you on how it's worked for me anyway that's what I'm going to do so do let me know if there's anything you want me to talk about send me uh, send me messages you can sort of message me through twitter or through my facebook page that's uh, facebook.com forward slash tim clare poet or through well, my twitter by the way in case you don't follow me on twitter is at tim clare poet love to hear from you there or you can email me just go on my website which is timclapper.co.uk there's a little contact me box in the right hand column you can send me an email i'd love to hear from you anything you want me to talk about on the show i'm really happy to sort of pick up the ball and run with it and try and solve some of your problems or at least engage with them i mean you know writing is supposed to be problems it's supposed to be a challenge that's what any game any endeavor any sort of piece of art is is made from problems if there were no problems it would just be sleeping or eating crisps which is you know they're great activities as well but writing is supposed to set you challenges okay there's this guy he has his kingdom's been taken over by a dragon and he is a pig farmer and he hasn't got any access to any special weapons how is he going to save his pigs and save the kingdom you know that's it that's not an easy question for you to answer as a writer you guys i don't know can i can i make it easier can i make him be a bigger dragon and then he could just beat the other dragon easily. Well, yeah, you could, but then it wouldn't be a good story. And good stories are all about challenge. They're all about having these steps in between them. Now, I want to move on before I sort of get too lost in 
just chaining thoughts together. I, I just want to, on this episode, just very quickly reply to one of your emails. So um, I had an email uh, from, I think it's Arky, A-R-C-Y, who said, a question about endings in response, in response to your call on Twitter today. Thank you very much for sending this in, by the way. Is there a way to test the weight-bearing strength of a character's goal while still in the planning stage? The stakes ache. I keep finding that I am running out of excitement to write a story and it seems to always come down to a so what about the goal or that the goal is hokey, hacky or done to desiccation. Uh, And then I had a second email. Oops, sorry, I pressed send by mistake. In your example from last time, so this was um, where there was a person who escapes with a magical orb from the uh, people from the government of her republic, uh, realising that the orb is going to be used in an evil ritual. In your example from last time, if she doesn't get the orb back from the baddies, they'll trigger Brexit, meaning that they'll bring back a uh, a group of uh, old the old kings who are dead from the land of the dead. That, that was my suggestion. Listen to um, the episode... Uh, Slaying the Three Dragons of Structure, if you want to get more on context on this. I made up an, a, a story to illustrate some of my points. Um, she has to get the orb back because her gran wants to see one before she dies. That's weak. In real life, granny stakes are very high. In a story, it's a yawn. I did a 10-minute free write list of stakes that I thought were strong, but none stand out. Not everything can be about stopping the world from exploding or the Nazi equivalents from winning that vital foothold. And sometimes one just doesn't want to write that anyway. I have a feeling it might be about crunchy specificity. One of my favourite terms. Which is why I thought I'd ask you. Yeah, you know how to appeal to me. Or is it just about not writing that one because the stakes aren't quote-unquote true? Thank you very much for that. That's a really, really good set of questions. And it's really great how you drilled down into specifically what was bothering you about it, because that makes it easy for, easier for me to engage with. So what are good stakes in a story and what are bad stakes? Now, of course, not all stories have obvious or high stakes. Literary fiction tends to be a little bit more nebulous. Uh, so litfic authors but litfic authors you know that characters still want something and I don't think it's crude to think about those things even if they aren't the central motor driving the story or they're not what the story's about human beings in the world still want things so uh, the world world the, the assumption there is that big stakes are a country falling in a war or the world exploding I fundamentally disagree. I only watched uh, the original Star Wars trilogy two years ago for the first time. Uh, I I somehow missed it all my life and then it became a thing and then I wanted to do it properly. And so eventually we set up a massive screen in my front room and a projector and I got people round on my birthday and we watched all three. And, And what struck me is... And, and apologies if I get bits of the law wrong. I'm kind of and I enjoyed them, by the way. I enjoyed the three movies. But something that, and, and I think the statute of limitation on spoilers for the original Star Wars series has run out now. But if you haven't watched them and you don't want them spoiled, then you can stop listening now. OK, so at the beginning of the of the first movie or like close to the beginning of the first movie, a Princess Leia's planet is exploded by the Death Star. Right. It's blown up. 
to threaten and punish her. And she is shocked by that eventuality. She is saddened. But she pretty much never mentions it again after that point. Um, For the rest of the movie, she, you know, has a, a few sassy back and forths. She cares about plenty of stuff. But the destruction, the gen, the mass genocide of everyone on her entire planet is sort of not really referenced again or high. It's just it it doesn't seem to matter to her and it's kind of over. Right. So you'd think that's huge stakes, right? The blowing up of an entire civilization of thousands of years of, you know, you would think that that's, you know, potentially I don't know the exact population there's probably some expanded universe canon that tells you but potentially millions of people or billions of people of lives snuffed out like cultures snuffed out completely destroyed it's not a real big it's not a big thing in the movie i tell you what i found really got to me in the film in the third one uh in Return of the Jedi, I believe that's the third one, yeah. Uh, you see there's a big fight with um, some Ewoks, the little f- fluffy bear creatures, and you see, incidentally, in one shot, that one of the Ewoks is lying down, is, is, is lying face down, not moving, and another Ewok is trying desperately to rouse them, and they're obviously dead. And it's just a little moment that you see in passing. That moment is, and I'm not, I'm not joking, is so much, it pierces you so much more. It pierced my heart so much more than the explosion of an entire planet, right? And this is the kind of whole trolley problem uh, paradox about human empathy. That planet blowing up i didn't have to see any of the people i didn't know any of the people who got killed didn't mean that much actually having to watch an ewok a ridiculous sort of bear creature experience grief and loss in front of me hit my empathy nodes more and i think that that is you know you say maybe this is something to do with crunchy's specificity yeah i think it probably i think it probably is you know it, it it's to do with as human beings it sort of mass death is really hard for us to get our heads around and it just becomes maths it's just it's it's abstract it's an abstraction and of course it's not of course it's not in the universe it's it's much worse but as human beings, we can own, we we can like our all these. I'm not going to like get into cod neurobiology, but I'm pretty sure you know we are wired to respond to human facial expressions. We're wired to respond to language. That's what gets the visceral responses of empathy are seeing another human being in suffering or happy or whatever we have to see that one person because we can engage with a single person or a couple of people we can't engage with 
it's harder to engage with the sort of just abstract knowledge that a planet has been destroyed. Now, in the um, first of the new Star Wars movies, the the first one again, like if you haven't seen the first one, then uh, then turn away now because I'm about to do a bit of a spoiler. But there's there's Star Killer Base, right, which is just a big Death Star grafted onto a planet, and it. It sort of siphons off the sun's energy to do big Death Star rays, and 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 they kind of just it just does the same thing. In one scene, they decide to blow up three planets. I think it's three. We're using the Star Killer base, and the reason it's more disturbing. I was really bummed out. I was really bummed out at that point in the film, and the reason is just before the planets are destroyed you see a shot from on the surface of one of them and the fire sort of roaring towards it and people looking up and screaming and you realise that there are real people on there. And that, I was bummed out for the rest of the movie, I have to say. I was just like, what's the point? What's the point? Like, millions of people have died. You can't come back from this. What's? I was really depressed uh, which I'm not sure is is you know is that is that useful anyway. I didn't feel like real angry and full of vengeance, but it just seemed like a terrible. It seemed like I'm not sure if in canon in the universe like three planets have been blown up before, but it seemed like we had just possibly witnessed the the worst atrocity that had ever been committed in the history of the universe. That's pretty fucking heavy, right? And but it was it had more impact because I saw some of the people's faces before they died, and so I had empathy. Now, in terms of what you're saying, you know, the idea that bringing an orb because a grandma wanted to see an orb versus bringing an orb because it might save the kingdom. I don't think saving a kingdom. Why do we give a shit about the kingdom? Or the, technically it was a republic in my uh, original example. Um, why do we give a shit about whether one regime uh, stays in power or another one takes over? It's, it's politics and also it's like not real, right? Why would we... I, I don't agree at all that the grandma thing is necessarily worse stakes. It's just why does she want to see the orb? Okay? If... She just went one day, a character go idly said, Oh, uh, my goodness me, child. I I have a strangeness. Now listen to your grandmother. I, um, I have a strange hankering for um, seeing a magical orb. Yes. If someone would fetch one for me, I think that would be quite delightful. You know, that would... So it's just, okay, it's just like a... It's just a, a a fickle old lady who today has decided she wants to see a magical orb and may change her mind. And if the orb is brought to her, she'll go, oh, well, yes, this is uh, quite a reasonable example. I shall put it on my counterpane and uh, dust it once a week. Like, what? she's, you know, she's not, if she'd quite like to see an orb and... But but doesn't it's not going to be the end of the world if she doesn't see one. No, that doesn't matter. What if the grandmother was 
dying and in this world uh you the the belief system about the afterlife is that there is a price to pay and that there is a purgatory and you are punished in it you are punished in it for centuries for millennia for your transgressions and this grandmother reveals to her son or daughter that once she when she was young she made a terrible mistake and she failed to bury her father's remains properly after he died um she just ran away and left them and he was uh, his body was certainly torn apart by wolves she she fled so she wasn't attacked by the wolves herself but she still feels guilty because in her religion this is a a terrible terrible transgression that will mean that her father will have been reborn as a wandering ghost he will never have found rest and the scriptures say that someone who fails to bury their parent this is you know it has a the religion has some kind of form of ancestor worship this is a terrible sin and you will go to purgatory and be punished in the uh, lakes of ice water and the forests of leaves of knives and the temples of uh, acid fog you will you will go there and you will spend hundreds of thousands of years being punished and she is asking the her granddaughter or grandson to go and find this orb because it will it contains the power to locate and placate the restless wandering ghost of her father and if the child can do that then she has a chance to avoid hell and we don't necessarily know whether this is what the whether this is just a belief a folk belief that is false or fanciful or if this is indeed true within the universe but she the grandmother is terrified she is ill and she is bedridden uh, propped up with all these pillows and various prayer scrolls are hanging from the walls behind her and incense is burning and the family have all been coming to see her and uh, this child has always known her as being wise and calm and pious and she grips her grandson or granddaughter's hand and says please please don't let me burn and the veins stand out on her hand and she's shaking and she's crying and she looks suddenly so small and frail and the skin is hanging off her bones and the fever has taken all the colour out of her flesh and this grandson or granddaughter loves her, loves her more than anything and perhaps they also realise that if she, if by letting her pet die without being redeemed 
they may be committing a, a sin of a similar mag magnitude and condemning themselves or whatever. But the point is, if they really, you know, why does anyone do anything? You know, I think in that case, it's just because I love I love my grandma. And if I have to go to the end of the world to find this thing she needs to save her, I, I will do it. You know, I, I when my granddad died, um, I remember being in the hospital and um, there was a guy on the opposite bed who, I don't know if he was blind, but he didn't seem to be able to see anyone around him and he kept trying out like this one name. I think it was like Mary Daniels or something over and over again. He said, Mary Daniels, please, Mary Daniels, please, Mary Daniels. I can't see you. I, I can't see you. I, I, please, I don't know where I am. Please. Oh God, please. God, Mary Daniels. If you can hear me, Mary Daniels, please come to me, please. Over and over and over. He was delirious, sure, but he was also extremely lucid in his pleas. To him, he was trapped in the darkness and there was only one person who could come to save him. It was so heart-wrenching to listen to him suffer. Listen to him moan and weep and scream for help for someone who never came about 10 minutes into it a nurse came over and um, took him by the hand and said what are you getting yourself so worked up about it's okay it's okay would you like some orange squash and he nodded and said yes and she gave him some or orange squash and stroked his hair I just don't think that the end of the world is something that we can get our heads around. It's it's too big. That's why global warming is such a difficult thing for us to deal with as a species, because we just kind of switch off. We can't imagine it. It's too huge. You know, the same with death itself. It's too huge and... If you engage engage with it a lot of the time, when you truly apprehend it, you just feel paralysed. You feel like you don't exist. It's It can be the most terrifying thing. And so we engage in these kind of smaller ways. But I also think they're larger ways as well. I can't, you know, I can't necessarily stop an entire planet from blowing up. I might be able to help one person and, and I think there's something valuable and important in that. And so the answer to your question, how can I test the stakes, is how much do they matter to my viewpoint character? How much do the stakes matter, whether it's the world's going to end, whatever, you know, the uh, a war's going to start... A, uh, 
a villain is going to triumph. How does this affect your main character? What are the stakes for them? What do they want? Are they in danger? And why should why should why do we care about them? You know, is there something is there something noble or good that we see in them that makes us care about them? Are they really cool and that makes us want to follow them? You know, and and there's been a lot of talk recently about a sort of a pushback against this idea of making your characters relatable or sympathetic. Uh, this idea that that is something that is, you know, sometimes the tone is that it's immature to want that from your books and that we should we should be looking for more challenging characters. Personally, and it's just a tasting, I like to read about characters that I care about and love. Uh, I think, you know, certainly relatability when people start using it as dog whistle code for is this person white, male and middle class and straight? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fuck relatability in that stage. You should, you know, practice empathy with people who aren't superficially like you and stop using those things as the default the everyman that everyone can connect with but if somebody is uh, gay and black and a wheelchair user suddenly that is a niche issue-led character no, no they're not they're a human being and you know this is the point where I, I this is what I didn't say last time when we talked about cultural appropriation that I'm an old-fashioned uh, universalist uh, at heart, you know, I think as human beings, we're all a, one big family and I I love you all and we've only got each other. But that, you can't use that as covering fire for going, hey, come on, and whip out your acoustic guitar and dancing kumbaya and going, we're all the same. Uh, when every time someone says quiet, what can we have fewer white middle class cis het males right you can't use it as covering fire for that you if, if we are all the same then if there if you do believe in universalism then you also believe in diversity because you can't because at the moment it's all skewed towards one demographic right so that's what i'm saying in terms of so doesn't the character doesn't need to be relatable but what why do these stakes matter to your main character because the world might be ending but if your character is you know, what's it matter if one regime you know, wins and another one loses? You know, I've been to dictatorships uh, to teach creative writing, to do, to read at, to do all sorts of uh, workshops in schools. I've been into dictatorships, into countries that are ruled uh, that you don't, where you don't have democracy, where certain groups are oppressed. And uh, they're very normal to walk around for if you're a certain type of person. They're very normal. They don't day to day life for a lot of people isn't that much different to ours under a democracy. It's just a few things that you can't say. You know, you go on a little bit of a sort of like internally. There's people who sort of go on a little internal holiday. Parts of you you suppress. And there's a sort of nodding way of talking about a few things but for a lot of people it's not that difference different i am not advocating for um oh tim said on today's podcast military dictatorships are kind of fine i'm not saying that what i'm saying is for a, for a character there are some characters for whom the stakes of oh 
you know, like for the stakes of uh, the the country has been taken over by fascists or by autocrats, and you know, there'll be some people for whom their daily life does not change that much, and there'll be some people for whom their daily life is completely destroyed by that. And this is what you're looking for in your stories, and and this is how you stress test these stakes early on. You say. You look at your world building and you ask, who is hurt most by this? Now, your char- you do not have to centre the story around the character who's hurt most by it. Is, is there something really interesting about following a kind of a, I, I guess in uh, D&D terms, a chaotic neutral character who kind of sort of is a survivor who does what they need to get by. And when one side wins and the other side loses... You know, they, they're an opportunist. They switch sides. They do whatever they can to keep their head down and not get in trouble. That's fine. You have to get that character into trouble, but the trouble is not necessarily the setting that they're in. Uh, you know, the, 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 they they may well thrive under either regime, under a, a, kind of a liberal democracy and under a dictatorship. If they're, you know, they, maybe they're some kind of merchant uh, that connects people with things maybe they're a soldier whatever you don't know but the point is you have to find a story where something goes wrong for them personally but it doesn't have to be about the world behind them you you know you can do a cyberpunk story and you can make it about someone who's in the kind of like elite of one of the mega corporations uh, they don't have to be you don't have to pick the person who's hurt the most by this story now uh, you know some people have got uh, opinions about this in terms of should we be telling stories about, you know, we should be telling stories about oppressed people and not about, you know, the elites. That's fine. You can make your own decisions as a writer. That's an ideological decision rather than a pure craft one. But from my perspective, what's interesting is that the stakes have to impact heavily on your protagonist, on your viewpoint character. So if your character doesn't give a shit about their grandma, then... The grandma wants an all, but it's not going to be a compelling... It's not going to be compelling stakes. If they lived with their grandma, she brought them up. They're the only thing... They're the only comfort they've ever known in a terrifying and uncertain world. And she passes away saying, please find the orb and it will allow you to come into the land of the dead and rescue me. And then she passes away. She dies screaming that she can see the shades of the ghouls coming to get her, to tear her soul from her body. That And that's compelling then. And it's more compelling than the world blowing up. It's very difficult to make the whole world blowing up uh, feel super compelling. It tends to feel like back, background flavour at best. And that's why like big disaster movies centre around a couple of characters who are looking for their family. And that's why we, you know, and so you, you see people falling off cliffs and ah, dying, 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 dying. And it doesn't really make you feel so much as the, but then the protagonist gripping onto their child's hand as the child hangs over a precipice, that becomes high stakes. So that's the question you've got to ask yourself. Whose story is this? And who and how are they hurt or affected by these stakes? Um... And if you find that the answer is not very much, you need to change your proposed story. Right, I think I've actually sort of semi-covered that topic. That's uh, a nice one. So I'll I'll stick this uh, 
podcast up in a, in a bit. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the podcast, there are three, count them, three, one, two, three things you can do um, that I would very much appreciate. I think, uh, you know, I would love it, in fact. And if you do this uh, good bit of karma, then you can get to spend the rest of the week knowing you've done something good. And if the universe does work the way that some people suspect it does, perhaps nice things will happen to you in return. But certainly uh, recent studies of the neurology of altruism do suggest that if you do something good for someone else, your brain creates uh, serotonin, it creates dopamine, you get what is called a uh, helper's high uh, from the act of doing something nice. Uh, And that helper's high reduces anxiety, it reduces depression, uh, it reduces the mortality rate in older people. Um, and it makes you feel really, really good. So basically, if you do these three things, your body will manufacture you free crack that will make you live longer. So the first thing I'd really like you to do is buy my novel, The Honours. It's out in bookshops in the UK and across the Commonwealth. It's on Amazon. It's on Wordery. Uh, if you, I'll put a link in the show notes of this uh episode and on my website if you click that specific link it's a little affiliate link so i get like i think like 49p extra kickback if you buy it through there um would we are pretty cool and you get free shipping so anyway my job is being an author if you buy a copy of my book then you are helping to put food on my table you're helping me to keep a roof over my head this is what i do it's my only job And I sincerely appreciate it. And you, of course, will get a fantastic looking book that has a great story in it. Number two, the second thing you could do that would be really, really helpful is review my book online and share the podcast. If you can go on, if you've read the book and you really enjoy it, then pop a little review on Amazon, pop a little star rating. If you enjoy the podcast, please, please, please uh, review it on iTunes. Uh, Do a little star rating there. Uh, subscribe on soundcloud and itunes and just share it on social media if you there's an episode that you enjoyed please just share it with people you know because it makes a huge difference especially posts on you know writers forums things like that makes such 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 a difference i'm so grateful to all of you who've done that the final thing thing the third if you particularly enjoy the podcast and you'd like to um give me a little uh something something directly then you can click through to my uh, Kofi coffee page. I always want to call it Kofi, but that's completely missing the whole point of the name. K-O-F-I, coffee. Uh, I've put up a, just a little uh, page there that people can go and uh, just drop me a little tip. If you've enjoyed the show, if you've got value out of it, then you can go there. There's a little link and you can click it and just uh, send me through PayPal, whatever you think it's worth. All that money just goes into covering my hosting costs for each year uh, and for the hosting costs of the website as well, uh, just so I'm not losing money and help keep the lights lights on here. Uh, That's it, really. Uh, I hope that that was helpful. And uh, that's what I think. What do you think? You can get in touch with me and let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts and any other stuff you'd like me to cover and anything you'd like me to cover in future episodes. But for now, good luck with your writing. I'm off to do my 10 minutes as promised. Uh, Lovely to talk to you again and I'll speak to you soon.